Hello there, Obi-Wan Kenobi here, and you're listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, brought to you by StarWarsDaily.com. The Force will be with you, always. Everybody, welcome to a special season four recap episode of Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. I'm Kyle. I've been on the show before as a guest host, and I also write the recaps. Uh, with me, I have my friend Jason Hunt, who's also been on the show before. Uh, thanks Greetings. for being on, Jason. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. And don't worry, we're not taking over the show completely by ourselves because we also have with us the creator himself, Mr. Michael Cohen. Hey guys, uh, yeah. So I we're we're here to recap season four, uh, an exciting season, uh, an overall good season, let's say. But uh, we'll get into more detail later, right? Yeah, and uh, Matt was also supposed to be on here with us tonight. Uh, he got caught up with some work stuff, but he may or may not be jumping in later on. So see if he shows up. But, uh, yeah, so we'll get into Season 4 and talking about some of our favorite episodes and what we liked and didn't like about it. Uh, Before that, uh, Mike, I know you wanted to bring us up to speed on Star Wars Celebration 6. We have how many days left? Uh, As of recording this, we have 114 days, 3 hours, 32 minutes, and 19 seconds to go until Star Wars Celebration 6. In Orlando, Florida, at the Orange County Convention Center. That's August 23rd to 26th. I will be there. Kyle will be there. Jason will be there. We don't yep. yet know if Matt will be there. Uh, but uh, uh, one other uh, uh, regular uh, guest on, on Frontlines the Clone Wars podcast will be there. And that's Steve Glosson from Geek Out Loud, the greatest uh, podcast uh, geek podcast on the internet in my opinion and uh, and in in celebration of celebration and as a part of our countdown to Star Wars celebration in August uh, Steve is going to give us five tips tips and tricks to uh, to prepare you for your Star Wars celebration uh, shenanigans let's say uh, so Steve's going to come in. He's going to give us that tip. So we'll be right back in one sec. Well, hello. It's it, it's great to be here. 
I'm Steve Glosson. I'm the host of Geek Out Loud. You can find it over at geekoutpodcast.com. So glad to be here on Frontlines, the Clone, the, the Clone Wars podcast with your, your Celebration 6 tips. Uh, we've got five of them. We're going to start this episode with the first one uh, in no particular order, except the last one's going to be the best one. So, you know, you can you can rank these how you want, but I think the last one you get in this series, this countdown to Celebration 6, is going to be the best one. Um, here it goes. Here it goes. Tip number five, if you will. And by the way, yes, I am the Southern Voice now on Frontline's The Clone Wars podcast. Um, I know it's shocking. I know it's crazy to suddenly hear this southern hit come in and try to tell you what to do. But let me tell you something real quick. Let me explain to you where I live. I live five hours north of Orlando, Florida, where uh, Celebration 6 will be taking place. And I can tell you straight up, I know how to navigate the south. For those of you who are from the frozen wasteland of the north, like our good friend Michael Cohen, the temperatures are going to be excruciating. But we'll get there. That's not for now. That's not the tip for today. The tip has nothing to do with the temperature. The tip has to do with being at Celebration itself. I've been to, this will be the third Celebration I've gone to. I was at Celebration 3 in Indianapolis and Celebration 5 two years ago down in Orlando. And I can tell you, one thing you'll want to have with you is a charged iPod or a charged uh, Kindle or a charged iPad or a book of some sort, something where you can kind of as you're waiting in line, lose yourself in, whether it's a video game or something like that. Now, I'm going to say this. We know that as Star Wars fans, we love lines. We love them. We just, we absolutely do. It's our favorite thing in the world is to wait in a line. How do I know this? Every single movie release. Lines, 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 lines. We love it. And at Celebration 6, it's no different. There's going to be lines because you want to get to the places you're going, the panels or the shows or whatever. You want to get there and be there on time and make sure that you get a seat. And so a lot of times there's going to be lines to wait in. If you have a book, if you have your iPod or iPad or your Kindle or something to read or play, it's going to make waiting in lines a lot more bearable. However, this tip comes with an addendum. And here is the addendum. That's right. I'm a Southerner that knows how to use the word addendum. The addendum would be this. Don't lose yourself in these things until you've had a chance to socialize with the people around you. Meet the people around you. If someone gets in line near you and they see your nose stuck in a book, they're not going to want to disturb you because, let's face it, we're Star Wars fans. We're polite unless we're hiding behind an anonymous screen name on the internet. Ooh, too snarky? I don't think so. So make sure that you've socialized with the people and you've got to know the people around you and, and people at the con, that sort of thing, because you'll have a much better time with people than without people. But if that moment comes where you're kind of tired of talking to people or people are, you know, you see the conversation waning, plug in the old iPod, take out the old video game, get the old book out, and it's going to really help you in, in your line waiting experience. As for myself, let me, I got a story for you. The year was 2010. It was August. It was Orlando. The main event with George Lucas was happening the next day. And uh, myself and Mr. Cohen and a few others had kind of worked out some waiting in line stuff so that we could uh, rotate through the night. And there was a line that, la that waited all night long to be in the main stage with Mr. Lucas uh, the next morning. And I'll be honest with you. 
uh, waiting in line was killer. But we had some great conversations, had some good times, and uh, and had some fun uh, chatting up one another. Uh, Cohen left us that next morning, and I was there with some good friends from the 501st as we sat in, in a big hallway just tripping out, having a good time. But there did come a point where we all hit a wall of just fatigue and, and line fatigue, and it would have been great in that moment to have a game to pull out or or a book to lose myself in, or even a pillow to fall asleep on. But it was not a negative experience. Understand, the experience is not negative, but I'm going to tell you that a lot of times, sometimes the lines will get a little long, and it's and it's best to have something to do while you're there so you don't go nuts, so you don't go crazy. Because the last thing we need is the good name of Star Wars Celebration sullied with someone getting stabbed with an ink pen. I'm looking at you, Comic-Con. I'm looking right at you, looking you square in the eyes and calling you out. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Nothing. Nothing. That's what you're going to do. Nothing. Because you know why? You know that Celebration is classier. It's funner. Funner is a word, correct? More fun. Funner. More fun. Funnier. Fun. Funner. Fun. Refund. Refund. It's more fun. And the people there are a lot nicer. So get to know the people, but have something ready for those lines. It's, it's going to do you some good. You'll enjoy it. <clears throat> there may be a Star Wars EU novel you're wanting to catch up on. Maybe you haven't read Darth Plagueis yet. And good Lord, I hope. <laughs> good Lord, I hope you've read it by the time you get to celebration. But if you haven't, bring it with you. Stick your nose in there. Maybe, uh, maybe there's all kinds of things you'd like to check out in the EU, and it's a good excuse to sit down, and that'll actually spring some conversation. If someone sees you reading a Star Wars book, they may stop and say, hey, man, that's a great book. Where are you at? And, and you get to meet people and get to know some things. So uh, have those things handy. Have those things ready, and make sure if it's an electronic device that you have it charged and ready to go uh, because it's hard to find a good wall charger around these places. Um, they're very stingy with the power down in Florida. Of course, it's all routed to the air conditioning system, and it has to be, but we'll get there. On a future celebration tip with me, Steve Glosson, host of Geek Out Loud, geekoutpodcast.com. Don't you dare cut that out, Michael Cohen. Don't you dare. Hey, where are we going? What are you doing? Don't take this. You don't take this segment away from me, and I'm not through. I'm not through. Yes, I am. Yes, I am through. Hey, thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time as we count down to Celebration 6. All right, good stuff. I am definitely looking forward to being there. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I, I was at the last one, uh, and I hung out with Steve for the majority of the weekend, uh, Steve and JC. Um, and uh, holy smokes, was it a good time. And uh, and I'm really looking forward to to this August. I, at this time, less than four months away. Uh, so... That's uh, that's yep. really exciting. Uh, I, I'm all booked. I got my flight, got my hotel, uh, got my press passes, and uh, and just just counting down the days. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, I'm still working on my stuff. Hopefully, uh, maybe sometime this week I'll be getting my plane tickets, and then uh, Jason and I are probably going to be room together. So I'll get all that figured out as soon as possible. But, uh, yeah, definitely planning to be there and looking forward to being there. Indeed, indeed. I, I'm still working on plane tickets, but, uh, you know, those should be coming within the next month. So my birthday is this month, so planning on getting any money for my birthday, going to plane tickets. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And do you guys, and Mike, I know you've been to C5, and Jason, you've been to, like, fan days before, right? 
Yes. Yeah. So for, for for me, this is going to be like kind of my first Star Wars convention, and it's also going to be you know maybe the biggest one there's ever been. So I'm kind of just jumping right into it. But yeah, it should be a fun time. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's shaping up to be uh, pretty big, pretty cool. Uh, there's there's uh, lots of guests that have, well actually not that many guests but some pretty big guests that have been announced so far. Uh, James Arnold Taylor is hosting since the last time uh, we did an episode. I think that got announced, uh, or uh, possibly we knew that already. But uh, James is also going to be hosting Star Wars Weekends. Which uh, which was alluded yeah. to, I think, in my interview with uh, with Concetta, uh from Parker Publicity. So, uh, big exciting stuff going on there. Uh, they there's still a lot of stuff left for them to announce. Uh, I still haven't heard back as to whether or not uh, our hundredth episode will be an official part of Star Wars Celebration, but. As I've told Lucasfilm, and as I'll tell you guys, we will be recording our one hundredth episode from Star Wars Celebration, from the convention, in one form or another. Uh, and it will hopefully be a live broadcast, uh, probably on Ustream or something like that. So uh, look forward to those details. I will probably create a public event on Facebook for people to check out, and I will definitely post it on the website and on the Facebook page. And, uh, of course, that will all be uh, linked to the Twitter, so... Uh, keep your ears and eyes open for information about that, uh, and hopefully we hear back from Lucasfilm soon, and uh, and we can uh, make an announcement about that. Uh, but but either way, one way or the other, we will be recording from Star Wars Celebration, even if I had to sit down in the middle of the show floor and uh, and record with whoever's there to record with. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get it done. So. Yeah, and hopefully I should be able to take a video camera out there and uh, get some videos of interviews and stuff that we can put up on the website for people to see. Yes, yeah. Well, we will definitely have lots of interviews and uh, fun stuff. I I am going to Disney World in the in the days leading up to it, so uh, I'm going to get up to some hijinks and uh, and hopefully have some Star Wars related, uh, Clone Wars related content. I. Uh, relating to Disney World uh, huh. in the in the week coming up or following Star Wars celebration. So uh, we got lots of stuff planned. It's gonna be it's gonna be really big because as I've said a couple times now, it's our hundredth episode, uh, which is a huge milestone for Frontline. So uh, we'll have a lot of stuff. There will be a lot of cool stuff uh, to anticipate for that. Maybe some special guests, maybe some uh, some surprises, stuff like that. Uh, but yes, definitely stay tuned to uh, to our Facebook page and our website. And all that for more information. Yeah, looking forward to it. Indeed. All right, so you guys ready to jump into this uh, big season four discussion we're going to have? Yes. Yes. Let's all right, cool. So basically, I'll just uh, kind of run down the season uh, real quick for anybody who maybe it's forgotten where we started at and just kind of recap all the story arcs. And then uh, we're just going to go around and talk about our top five favorite episodes of the season. Um, so kind of just our high points and what we liked about it. And then at the, after that, we'll um, talk about kind of some thoughts on the season as a whole and then what we're looking forward to from here coming up in season five. Excellent. So, um, you know, we started the year off with 
the Water War arc, Water War uh, Gungan attack, and prisoners on Mon Calamari. Um, you know, pretty cool story arc with the underwater battles and everything like that. Um, from there, we had Shadow Warrior, which was just a single episode on Naboo with Anakin and Jar Jar and Grievous and Dooku and all kinds of kind of crazy hijinks and kind of some serious tense moments going on at the same time. Um, then we had Mercy Mission and Nomad Droids, which were, uh, you know, kind of a fun little side story with R2-D2 and C-3PO. Uh, from there we had the Umbara arc, which was four episodes of pretty much straight clone action and, uh, you know, one of the big highlights of season four for a lot of people, um, including a lot of people on our Facebook page who replied with some of their uh, thoughts on the season, which we'll read later on as well. Um, then after that, we had the Slaves arc, which was, uh, you know, adapted from a comic series and had Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan trying to liberate the uh, Togruta slaves from, uh, what was it, Zygeria. And then we had A Friend in Need, which was the single episode with Ahsoka and Lux and the Death Watch. Then we had the, um, if I'm not forgetting anything, then we had the Rago Hardeen Obi-Wan story arc where Obi-Wan goes undercover with the bounty hunters and we had Cad Bane and Morallo Evol in there. Um, and then after that, we had the big four-parter at the end of the season with, um, started with Massacre, right? And then Bounty and Brothers in Revenge, which picked up on the Night Sisters arc from last season and introduced, or I guess reintroduced, uh, Darth Maul coming back. So that's season four in a nutshell. Um, so let's see, Mike, you want to start us off with your uh, your number five favorite episode? Absolutely, yeah. I, well, for me, I, I guess I'll be uh, beginning at the end. Uh, my number five episode from this season is is uh, Revenge, which uh, I, you know, uh, anybody who's listened <laughs> to Frontlines over the course of this last season has known that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't take it easy on Clone Wars just because uh, I'm a Star Wars fan. And, uh, and this last storyline, the four episodes, uh, Massacre, Bounty, Brothers in Revenge, particularly Brothers in Revenge, I, I, uh, I was very critical of. Uh, leading up to it, I was a little bit worried. And, uh, and then getting into brothers i was definitely worried because brothers was if we were gonna do our uh, top five least favorite i my least favorite was definitely brothers in fact my least favorite of the series was brothers and i think that's probably why i was so pleasantly surprised by revenge when we got it the following week uh and it i uh, it was one of the best episodes of the season uh and and having darth maul sort of restored to what he was supposed to be uh, or what we uh, what we wanted him to be was uh, was definitely a, a pleasant. I don't know if it was a surprise because it's what we were expecting and hoping for, but uh, but it was just it was nice to get it back on track because I think that with brothers it felt like that character was like way off the rails and uh, and that storyline was very like uh, <laughs> completely pointless. <laughs> Uh, I'm not gonna pull punches on that. Like it, it was, it was a waste of 22 minutes when it could have been the first two minutes of the episode of Savage getting to the planet, finding his brother, his brother being crazy, 
and then having to deal with everything in the next episode, like uh, throughout that episode. And then we could have had more development time with Darth Maul, which is what we got in Revenge. And then on top of that, on top of Darth Maul and Savage Opress uh, having having a, a, a storyline of reconnecting and and uh, essentially rebuilding, and then you've got Obi Wan comes in, fights Darth Maul and Savage. Uh, but more importantly, is aided by Asajj Ventress, who who essentially shows up uh, at at the same time as like she's there to get revenge on uh, on Savajo Press. She also kind of goes, well, in order to do this, I'm gonna have to hook up with Obi Wan, and we're gonna have to fight on the same side for a change, which is sort of part of her overall arc from the the Night Sister trilogy through to Revenge, which I which as we'll discuss later on in my list, uh, is is one of my favorite parts of the series so far. So uh, so that's that's why Revenge uh, really sort of it, it sits uh, high up there for me on uh, on on the list of yeah, it's definitely a good one. Uh, Jason, you want to give us your number five? Okay. Um... My number five um, is Carnage of Krell, um, the finale of the Umbara arc, and um, I I like the arc overall, um, but this final episode of the arc definitely had the most character development out of all the characters, and made the most sense. Uh, finally, every now we know why Krell is such an idiot, you know, or not an idiot, uh, uh, so arrogant and a pain in the butt. But not only was it great uh, that we saw Krell and got to see a, a dark Jedi, a Jedi turning to the dark side in the Clone Wars, because that was cool, but we also got the great development out of Rex and, you know, culminating in when they find out that they're firing on each other, the clones are firing on each other, and then having to go arrest Krell. Um, and I'm really hoping that they pick that thread up in Season 5, but it was by far the biggest moment Rex has had in the series, and Rex is a great character. Um, and I'm really curious to see where he goes um, throughout the rest of the series because of this. So that, that that's my number five. All right, cool. Um... You know, I'm actually kind of torn on my number five. I have two. I guess I'll go with Darkness on Umbara. I'll save the other one for later and kind of mention it at the end as a as an honorable mention. But So I'll pick Darkness on Umbara for my number five just because, um, I mean, I'm one of the people that really like the Umbara arc. And uh, that kind of whole story arc for me was one of the high points of the season. But... Um, I feel like this episode in particular is just kind of where season four really took off. I mean, I felt like it was pretty good up to that point, but then we just get this episode that's like kind of the biggest all out action episode since, um, you know, since landing at Point Rain pretty much. And, uh, you know, some great visuals on Umbara with the, you know, the darkness and the contrast of that with the, the Umbarans and their kind of glowy high tech armor and, uh, you know, their, tanks firing those big plasma projectile things and all that and um you know just some great action moments all throughout and then you start to get 
towards the end of the episode a little bit of the character development that then gets continued through the rest of that arc with you know Rex and the clones and Krell. And uh, I love the probably one of my favorite moments of that episode is at the end when uh, when Krell orders the clones to go like attack the city straight up the middle and they all get you know creamed pretty much and after a tree. And, uh, you know, Krell's all mad at Rex, and he's like, why didn't you follow my orders, and I told you to go do this, and now we're going to lose because you retreated, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Rex just stands up to him, and he's like, hey, I don't know who you think you are coming in and trying to, you know, take over, and, you know, Anakin had to leave in the middle of the battle, but, um, you know, he's like, you're treating us like we're just cannon fodder, and even, even though I have a duty to, you know, follow your orders, and you're the general, you're in charge, I also have a responsibility to protect my guys, and, uh, you know, I just love that confrontation and Rex sticking up to him and uh, Five sticking up for him as well. And uh, actually, that's another thing I really like about that episode is we kind of get to see um, our troopers in action for the first time. I mean, we've because we see Echo and Fives get promoted to our troopers at the end of the beginning of season three. And uh, then we see them later on in the Citadel, but they don't really do much. They're kind of just... You know, they, they don't do anything more special than the other kind of just background clone troopers in that episode. And then Echo kind of just runs out and gets himself blown up. But Fives was really awesome in this episode and, um, you know, kind of had some cool moves and some uh, some arc trooper tricks up his sleeve. So um, all those were reasons why I thought that was a great episode, and that's my number five. Nice. All right, so uh, let's see. Mike, you want to get to your number four? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> number four for me is uh, Escape from Cadavo, uh, which uh, is the end of the uh, the Zygerian slave arc. And uh, mostly because Anakin really got to, uh, to sort of show off what makes him an interesting character <laughs> throughout this arc, but particularly in this, in this last portion of it. Um, as uh, as he sort of you know he's trying to save Obi Wan and uh, Ahsoka, and also trying to explain to the Zygerian Queen that you know like she's a pawn for the Separatists and that she's no different than any of the slaves that she controls, because uh, the Separatists are just controlling her. So there's a lot of really cool stuff throughout the arc. There was a lot of really great action, but uh, more important than any of that is just the the depth of the story uh for for the characters and because it was adapted from a comic book arc from in fact the first comic book arc uh that they did uh that i really enjoyed when it was in comic book form really cool to see it realized uh on on the show um and and having anakin sort of his past come up and and really inform his actions was was really great, and we saw it probably at its best. Yeah, that was a good one. That's not on my list, but uh, I love that moment there at the end when Obi-Wan's facing off with the the slaver um, kind of overlord guy. And, uh, you know, they've he, him and Rex have kind of broken out yeah. and taken out all the guards, and now they're, you know, it's just kind of them and this guy, and he knows he can't beat them, but then he's like, you know, oh, Obi-Wan, you know, you're a Jedi, you're not going to kill an unarmed prisoner, and then uh, he kind of doesn't see Rex standing over in the corner, but then Rex just throws a spear right through him, and it's like, I'm not a Jedi, I can do that. <laughs> so that was a cool moment. I shall reserve yeah. comment. 
All right, well, uh, Jason, you want to get to the number four? <laughs> sure. Um, my number four, and this will probably surprise a lot of people, but my number four is Shadow Warrior. Yes. Um, I'm a fan of Jar Jar Binks. I'm a fan of Gungans. Um, and I really liked Shadow Warrior. Um, early on, it was before, uh, definitely before the um, uh, Umbara arc, it was by far the best episode of the season, in my opinion. But um, I, I just loved it because uh, we got to not only uh, see Dooku maneuvering things and having Grievous there, but we also got to see Jar Jar in, I think, one of the best portrayals he's ever had, including uh, the live-action films. Um, the Clone Wars has really, uh, especially uh, recently, used Jar Jar better than I think even George Lucas did. Um, and he had his comedic moments, but he didn't detract from the story. Um, I love the, the scene where he's sitting across from Grievous and he's playing with the chair and just sort of spinning around <laughs> and going up and down. And, um, and then, of course, we get Captain Tarples in the mix, um, one of the most awesome Gungans ever. Um, and he does one of the most heroic things that we've seen in the Clone Wars by sacrificing himself to capture Grievous. And, of course, Padme has to go and give him away um, to get Anakin back, who has one of the a really cool lightsaber duel with Dooku. So not only uh, was it a great story from the Gungans' perspective, but it had a lot of great action. And I really enjoyed the duel between Anakin and Dooku um, as well. And so uh, that's, that is uh, my number four. So. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm actually not surprised you had that on your list. One, because I know you like Jar Jar, but also because, like you said, I thought that was a really good episode too. Um, it's not, it didn't make my top five, but I agree with what you said that before the Embara arc started, I thought that was the best episode of the season up to that point. And um, yeah, it was just a great kind of a good mix of like kind of humor and suspense and action, and had a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd completely forgotten about that episode, uh, even just sort of giving giving the, the episode list a, a cursory glance. I think that I just went right past that as uh, as one of the episodes from this season. But that you're totally right. The moments with Captain Tarples and Jar Jar, some of the strongest that the series has had. Yeah. Definitely the strongest that Jar Jar Indeed. has had. So. All right, Kyle. Yeah, all right, so my number four is Friends and Enemies, um, which is the second episode of the kind of Obi-Wan undercover with the Bounty Hunters storyline. Um, I thought that was easily the strongest episode of that arc, in my opinion, um, just because, I mean, the first one was kind of just like the setup of him going undercover and kind of introducing this Rako Hardeen character that he's supposed to be. Uh, the second episode, though, was really... Um, kind of got into the, the meat, I guess, of, uh, you know, what it's like for him to be undercover like that and his interactions with Cad Bane and Moralo Evol. I mean, Cad Bane's always a great character, and uh, I thought this episode had some of his strongest stuff of the whole series, um, just some great one-liners, um, some great dialogue between Cad Bane and Obi-Wan and their tension, and uh, Moralo Evol I thought was a pretty interesting character, too. And, uh, you know, you got them, like, at the beginning, they crash land on Nalhutta, and then they're going around trying to get a ship to get off. And then, I mean, it's it's kind of a simple story. They don't 
really, I, I don't know, there's not really like a big payoff or anything in that particular episode story-wise, but I just think it has, for me, some of my favorite character moments of the whole season. Um, and then you get Anakin and Ahsoka, they show up at the end and, you know, have this big battle with, uh, you know, starts with Anakin and Cad Bane fighting on top of the ship as they're trying to, you know, outrun each other. And then the ship crashes and Anakin's fighting, um, you know, Cad Bane and Rako Hardeen, who you know is really Obi-Wan, but Anakin doesn't know that yet. So I thought that had some, you know, some great, some great tension there. And I mean, watching them fight each other, it was, you know, it's, it, it was really interesting when you know that they're actually going to end up fighting each other for real in Revenge of the Sith. Um, yeah. So kind of some interesting foreshadowing yes. there. And yeah. then, uh, you know, you get Ahsoka showing up to save Anakin at the end and that whole thing. I mean, it was kind of reminiscent for me of the episode last season where you had the big fight between Cad Bane and Obi-Wan and Quinlan Boss. But um, mm -hmm. I thought they kind of took that similar style of fight and just stepped it up a notch. Um, and like I said, just, you know, great character moments and dialogue throughout. And so that's, that's my number four. Yeah. Uh, none of the episodes of that arc actually made it into my top five, but I do. And I did enjoy that arc a lot. Um, I do agree that that had some of the best character moments of that arc for sure. Um, uh, at least as far as Obi-Wan is concerned, obviously, uh, Crisis on Naboo had some great stuff for Anakin. Right. Um, oh, but Oh no! Go ahead. Uh, but as far as as Obi Wan is concerned, um, some of some of the uh, the nice little quips and uh, witticisms that Obi Wan has uh, were showcased there, and against Cad Bane is you know always a lot of fun. So yeah. Well, you mentioned Anakin, and that actually made me think of one scene that I had forgotten about, but what might be my favorite scene in the whole episode is uh, right in the middle there. Anakin's still on Coruscant. And uh, he's in Palpatine's office and, you know, Pal he basically just expressing his frustration to Palpatine about how, you know, at this point he still thinks Obi-Wan's been murdered and he's like, you know, his murder is out there on the loose and the Jedi Council isn't do anything, doing anything about it. And um, you see Palpatine kind of just stroking that, that distrust of the Jedi a little bit and telling him, you know, like, oh, well, Obi-Wan was your best friend and why wouldn't they let you do anything about it? And, you know if you want to go catch this guy, like, I trust you to do the right thing. And he kind of basically kind of subtly tells Anakin, like, disobey the council and go after this guy anyways. I mean, that's how Anakin and Ahsoka end up um, having the confrontation with Cad Bane at the end, is uh, he kind of does it on Palpatine's orders, but against the Jedi Council. But, yeah, that was a really well-done scene right there. Um, you know, obviously foreshadowing kind of Palpatine's larger role in it all and his uh you know bigger plans for anakin but uh yeah that was just another thing i liked about that episode so um let's see mike you want to give us your number three yeah actually my number three follows your number four <laughs> uh, and it's the box i i loved this episode uh mostly for for the action that was in it but also just for the kind of um I don't know, it kind of had like a like a 1970s exploitation film kind of feel to it with just like the introductions of the different bounty hunters. It's kind of like a, almost like a Mad Max style introduction or something like that, like where it's like these are the different people or like, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know, it just kind of had that feeling. 
of of like these are the combatants and and you know they're they're all these these hardcore uh, bounty hunters and they all have to compete with one another but at the same time they have to cooperate and uh, and we see some really really great uh, interaction between Cad Bane and Obi Wan as Reiko Hardin uh, throughout this episode. They just it makes it a really really strong episode and. Uh, just start to finish, it's completely entertaining. Which some episodes of The Clone Wars can't really say. Uh, some are really great stories, others are really great action. But this one's kind of got, it's got both. And I think that it's really informed by deception and friends and enemies. And uh, and it leads into a really great uh, finish with Crisis on Naboo. Uh, but that finish kind of leans a little mm -hmm. bit more towards Anakin than it does to Obi-Wan. Uh, but for Obi-Wan, this is definitely one of his standout storylines. And for uh, James Arnold Taylor, it's definitely a standout Yeah, in -hmm. regards to performances uh, for me. He, do he does a really good job throughout this arc, but in particular in the box. In, uh, in sort of having to play it on both sides. Like, you can tell that he's, uh, he doesn't want to kill anybody, but he... You know, he's also not going to stick his neck out because, you know, that's not what a bounty hunter would do, but he kind of can't really go against the Jedi Code. And it's it's just a really interesting predicament to put uh, this character that we know to be one not of the only, greatest Jedi of all time. So that, that's why yeah. it makes it into my It's a fun episode. And, and it not only is all those, you know, all those things that you just listed, why it's great, but also throughout the whole thing, you're wondering, okay, is his disguise going to hold the whole time, you know? Um, and so that adds a little bit of tension as well. And yeah. just a very entertaining overall episode. I agree. So. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I didn't like that one quite as much. That was probably my least favorite episode of that particular story arc. Um, mostly, be, I mean, I haven't watched it in a while, but one of the things that I remember kind of sticking out for me is that, you know, Obi-Wan's kind of always the one like leading them through the different challenges and stuff. It's like, he's always the one to figure it out. And I'm like, maybe hold back a little bit because you're going to kind of give it away like almost like he was making it too easy for himself or something but uh, you know I do have to say that episode had mm. one of my favorite Cad Bane moments of the whole series though at the beginning when uh, you know obviously he's been in prison and uh, you know was just in the in the prison clothes and didn't have his hat on so they go to Nalhutta and he gets a new hat from the you know pawn shop or whatever and then of all these bounty hunters that Dooku's assembled here at the box, one of them has Cad Bane's old hat, and Bane just shoots him and takes it. And Obi-Wan Obi kind of, you know, kind of yeah. glances at him as he's walking back, and he's like, you know, did you really just do that or whatever? And Cad Bane's just like, what? It's a nice hat. <laughs> uh, awesome, awesome Cad Bane moment. Yeah. And that is why we like Cad Bane. <laughs> yeah. Yes, All right, uh, so definitely. Jason, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is going to be uh, Revenge, uh, the season finale episode. Um, uh, I like, I did like Brothers, but Revenge was compared to Brothers was in a completely other league. Um, it, it was, it was great because we got to see the the rebirth of Darth Maul um, into, I think, a much more interesting character than he was in the Phantom Menace, um, and then we got to see. Um, sort of the uh, a little bit of foreshadowing as what could happen between Darth Maul and Obi-Wan farther down in the series uh, in their confrontation, uh, which 
was some great stuff uh, from Obi-Wan's perspective. And on top of that, we added Asajj Ventress into the mix, who had, uh, in my opinion, some of the best moments of that entire episode, um, just teaming up with Obi-Wan. Uh, it was just a, a nice culmination of uh, Darth Maul coming back, Asajj's transformation, and Obi-Wan getting thrown into the middle of it. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that episode. Um, one of the best season finales. Uh, I don't know whether I like this season finale the most or if I like the season one finale, uh, Hostage Crisis, better. They're, they're pretty close and it fluctuates. But um, definitely one of the strongest finishes to a season um, in the past couple of years. So, Yeah. All right, well, I kind of got the short end of the stick here because my number three was also revenge, so I get to be the last one to talk about it and try to say stuff you guys haven't said yet. Um, <laughs> one thing that neither of you guys did mention, I thought one of the things that made this episode so great is uh, I thought Sam Witwer did a fantastic job voicing Darth Maul. Um, you know, he's well, he was the uh, the son in the Mortis trilogy, and of course, before that, everyone knew him as Starkiller from The Force Unleashed. And... Uh, yeah, I was kind of maybe worried that he might sound a little too similar to the like that previous stuff, especially because the sun sounds pretty recognizably similar to Starkiller. But I thought he did a great job. Really, um, mm-hmm. I know, like it, he his voice is still kind of distinct in the way that you can tell it's him, but it's not like oh, Darth Maul sounds exactly like Starkiller. I thought he did a really good job, kind of giving the character his own voice, and obviously he's got a lot more work to do than. Um, you know, than has ever been done before because in The Phantom Menace, Darth Maul had, what, like two lines or something. And, yeah. you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah. you know, if I if I find myself thinking, like, oh, does that really sound like Darth Maul? I just try to imagine, like, whatever voice he's doing saying that, you know, at last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. And I'm like, no, yeah, that fits. So, uh, you know, I thought he did a really good job with that and, uh, you know, just added a lot of int- intensity and stuff to it. Um, aside from that, I mean, you guys have pretty much hit everything on the head already, but, um, you know, like you said, Mike, I was kind of worried coming into this episode. Well, kind of the whole, um, the whole four part, or at least brothers in revenge, um, you know, just wondering like how they were going to pull this off. And from the beginning, I was kind of skeptical about like, really, do we have to bring Darth Maul back? Like everyone's pretty much accepted that he's dead. So I hope this is, you know actually going to, like, do service to the character, and it's not just, like, a marketing gimmick for Phantom Menace in 3D or something like that. But um, it ended... I mean, and yeah. I agree with Jason, too. I didn't hate Brothers. I thought it was at least a decent episode, um, probably in, like, my bottom five of the season, just because there were so many other great episodes. But I didn't think it was terrible. But then we get to Revenge, and, uh, you know, Maul really gets his chance to shine. But I thought in both of those episodes, I thought they did a really good job of... Um, you know, bringing him back in a way that's interesting and showing a different side of him than we saw in The Phantom Menace because I I guess my biggest fear was that they were going to make up some, you know, some explanation for how he came back from the dead and then he was going to be the exact same Darth Maul we saw in The Phantom Menace. But, you know, when we get that introduction of him and he's freaking crazy and, you know, just like delusional and totally messed up and then... um, you know, you get that really cool scene where Mother Talzin kind of heals him and she's like literally 
pulling like wisps of insanity, I guess you could say, out of his head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so kind of restoring him. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he's he's kind of older and wiser, too. I mean, he talks about how, like, oh, I've missed so much and, like, the Clone Wars have started already. And, um, you know, we, we get to see a lot more of um, sort of what he thinks and feels. And it's not just all, you know, ninja spinny flippy tricks. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I thought they, you know, did a great job bringing him back, making him an interesting character. And uh, like you said, too, Jason, I thought it was a great way to end the season because now, you know, we're obviously going to see more of him in season five. So it's like, can't wait to see where he goes from here. But it was definitely a a great uh, reintroduction. And then Ventress, you know, having her in there, too, and kind of the... I guess, culmination of her story arc, but at the same time, it's almost like the beginning of a new story arc, uh, because, yeah. you know, it's kind of the, the the culmination of everything we've seen her go through ever since Night Sisters back in Season 3, um, to the point now where she's a completely different character, but now it's like, we've got a whole bunch of new possibilities for where she could go from here, so, yeah, really interesting uh you know, character moments for both of those guys. And then, of course, you got Obi-Wan in the, you know, fight with Darth Maul, great lightsaber duels and visuals and action and all that. So, yeah, great season finale, and that's my number three. Awesome. Cool. Okay, uh, well, then I guess that brings me to my number two, which uh, which is A Friend in Need, uh, which is the, the Ahsoka-centric episode uh where she teams back up with lux bonteri uh and they uh they well lux is i uh, sort of made a deal with the devil the devil being uh the mandalorian death watch <clears throat> and they go to a snowy planet and they engage in some interesting uh escapades and uh ahsoka does a, <laughs> a little spin and lops off four mandalorian's heads I, along with a lot of really great moments uh, in the action and some really great story moments and some really great character development on the part of Lux as well as Ahsoka. So for me, that's, uh, that was one of the best episodes because I don't think that I was expecting it to be that interesting. I definitely wasn't expecting uh, an Ahsoka episode to pull me in that much. But, uh, but there it was. I mean, it, it definitely uh, shows that that character has grown a lot since the first season. Uh, something that we've sort of been, uh, I don't know, watching happen over the last last couple seasons. And we've definitely noticed it before now. But uh, it wasn't until this episode where you really see Lux is in over his head and, and Ahsoka is a, it, she's a lot more like Obi-Wan than she is like Anakin. And I think that we, we were expecting her to maybe take a different path of, to follow her, uh, her, her master's uh, lead a little bit more. But what we've discovered is that, you know, with Obi-Wan and Padme and uh, Plo Koon and, and others sort of stepping in and saying like, hey, you know, Maybe you should think of it this way. Maybe you haven't seen the right perspective. Uh, don't just do things the way that Anakin does them. Don't follow his lead. That sort of thing. This character has sort of come into her own and uh, and has become very interesting in the process. 
to the point where she can really carry an episode like this, which she couldn't do last season. So, uh, so it, it really it stood out for me as one of the best episodes of this season, and uh, and one of the best episodes of the series so far. Yeah, uh, one of my I agree. Yeah, it, it didn't quite make my uh, my top five. It probably would have been number six, but um, it was definitely a really good episode. And I agree. Uh, up until this point, um, Ahsoka could not have carried an episode the way that she did. And not only did she carry the episode, but it was entertaining, it was engaging, and it just drew you in. Not only that, but you got the Death Watch in there, uh, which was cool to see them come back and sort of foreshadows things to come. Um, so we've been told. But uh, it's. I, I also just remember seeing her lop those heads off. You know, was watching it at Kyle's house uh, out here and. Everybody in the room just sort of goes, whoa, at the same time. <laughs> just sort of uh, just sort of that had that reaction, you know. It was really kind of crazy. Um, but I, I agree, one of the standout episodes. Definitely probably uh, one of my one of my favorite standalone episodes of the entire series. Yeah. All right. Well, Jason, uh, you wanna go ahead with your number two? Sure, my number two, and I sort of cheated with this one, um, and uh, this is uh, an arc, um, but it's okay because none of these episodes would have made my top five outside of being an arc. Um, but uh, it's the Slaver arc. Um, it, I think as an arc, it was the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the most compact and well-developed arc of the entire uh, season. Um, the other arcs had, you know, some great episodes and some not-so-good episodes, and then uh, and then in the case of the uh, Water War, which I thought was a good arc, it just, nothing really stood out to me. Um, but as far as an arc goes, this one was one of the strongest from start to finish, and didn't really lose any momentum going between episodes. Um, and they kept building on each episode, to get to that climax at the end um, of uh, Escape from Kadavo. And uh, great character development for Anakin, obviously, but his character, his story in the episodes didn't overshadow everyone else. Everyone else got to have their moment, got to have their little uh, moment in the sunshine or whatever. And it, it was just a, such a great, well-put-together episode and introduce one of the most interesting character, new characters of the season um, in the Zygerian Queen. Um, so as an overall arc, the Slaver arc is my, my number two pick for, um, for this yeah, season four. Not only, not only that, but I just loved how they referenced uh, Return of the Jedi in the, uh, the, the second episode there, and then how... In Escape from Kadavo, they had like three or four different scenes going on. They had, you know, Plo Koon out, you know, flying around his starfighter. There's Anakin trying to to take out the Turrets, Ahsoka rescuing the uh, the slaves, and Obi Wan taking on uh, Keeper Argus, uh, which has that nice cutting back and forth that I think is great uh, from Return of the Jedi and makes Return of the Jedi one of my favorite of the Star Wars films. So uh, just overall uh, a great great arc so yeah all right well 
Unfortunately, I've been beaten to the punch for the second consecutive round, but uh, <laughs> my number two is also a friend in need. Um, just love that episode. And that that's one of the ones that I've, I've watched a few times now, and it kind of gets better every time. Um, I think because when it first aired, like I had been looking forward all season up to that point, I'd been looking forward to seeing Death Watch again because that was uh, probably one of the highlights for me of season two is, uh, you know, I just loved seeing, you know, Obi-Wan fighting guys in Mandalorian armor. And I was like, when are we going to get to see those guys again? And so I guess the first time I saw it, I was, um, I mean, I enjoyed the episode, but it wasn't quite what I expected in terms of, you know, action and kind of like the big grand return of, you know, these Mandalorian warriors. Um, I, you know, wasn't really expecting the kind of character interaction and development for Ahsoka and stuff like that. Um, but then the more I watch it, the more I kind of get used to that stuff and, you know, really like it. I mean, I really like the the development of that relationship between Lux and Ahsoka and um, kind of like you said, Mike, how she how she deals with Lux kind of rushing into this situation where, you know, I and I don't necessarily feel like she's, um, you know, like it's all Obi-Wan's influence and none of Anakin's influence on her in that you know, in, in this particular episode, but I feel like even though she's, you know, kind of takes after Anakin and can be a bit reckless sometimes, you know, she's kind of looking at Lux and being like, you know, I'm not going to go this far. Like, you're kind of crossing the line here by joining up with, you know, Mandalorian terrorists. Like, you know, I might go too far sometimes, but this is crazy. Um, and, you know, I like that kind of her trying to reel him back in and um, Lux being like absolutely convinced that this is kind of the right thing to do. But, you know, you can kind of understand, though, the predicament that, the, that he's in because, you know, he, um, at the beginning of the episode, he doesn't really realize the extent to which the Death Watch is so kind of cruel and violent, um, like we see revealed at the end. But, um, I don't know, I kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. But... <laughs> Yeah, he's right, just right. Uh, he, he's a little bit ignorant well, to the way that the galaxy works, uh, but Ahsoka's seen right, right, and Death you would Watch think that um, because we've seen the Death Watch before too, as um, you know, kind of organized and you know they they have their own goals in mind. I mean, they're not just like run out and kill everybody; like they have an agenda and they think that they're doing the right thing. So you can understand why Lux would kind of feel comfortable joining up with them, like you know. They have their own reasons for wanting Dooku dead. I have my own reasons for wanting Dooku dead, and we're going to like work together on this. But you also kind of see how the Death Watch has kind of fallen from grace, I guess you could say, from season two. Because um, when you see them in season two, like they've got their own moon and their own base, and they got you know spaceships and they got factories where they're you know cranking out armor and stuff. And now here, and uh, you know presumably through mm -hmm. the backstory that you know, that's kind of hinted at in this episode between now and the last time we saw them. It's like they were getting ready to take over Mandalore and then Dooku abandoned them. And so their plans just kind of fell apart. And now they're just kind of nomads, like roaming around and doing whatever they want. And it's like they still want that revenge and they still want those goals, but they're definitely not going about it in an organized fashion like they were at first. They're just kind of, 
you know, like I said, this ragtag bunch that's just going out and kind of bullying people and I guess trying to build their forces back up or something. But uh, so, yeah, it was interesting to see how they've changed since the last time we saw them. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting story, interesting character development. And then we get to the end and, you know, I finally got my big action moment that I had wanted where, you know, like you said, Ahsoka was captured. R2 rolls in to save her. She gets her lightsabers, lops the four dudes' heads off, and then starts dueling with Pre Vizsla, who, you know, it's always awesome to see him and his black lightsaber. And they're, you know, fighting in this tent, and then the fight kind of ends up going outside. And, um, you know, the whole time when they've been off doing their thing, the uh, the Mandalorians put R2 to work, kind of like repairing these old droids that they had busted up and were using for target practice and stuff. And so they go outside, and you got R2 waiting there with this, you know, army of kind of... <laughs> junk bots, but uh, yeah, you know, and so you got Ahsoka still dueling with Vizsla while the rest of the Mandalorians are, you know, fighting these droids, and it's, you know, it's like you said, that snowy planet, but it's dark and kind of stormy, I guess, like there's snow blowing around and it's just such a cool visual scene, I think, probably one of my favorite visual moments of that whole season is just the kind of the lightsabers clashing and the lasers flying against that dark snowy background, I thought it was really great. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. So, um, kind of same as Mike. That's my number two favorite episode of the season. So, uh, Mike, you want to give us your number one? Yeah, my number one, uh, and this should come as no surprise to anybody who's been paying attention this season, uh, is Bounty. Uh, we we see uh, again, much like Revenge, coming off of a very weak episode uh it's sort of a springboard into a much more interesting episode so uh bounty sort of it it, i think it's number one for me because it was so surprising i kind of like a friend in need character that i really don't care that much about uh, asajj ventress has these amazing moments um, and really, for the first time in this series, we get to see a character truly develop and and uh, make a choice and, and sort of uh, start down a different path. Um, we definitely get hints at, at Anakin's future. Uh, Ahsoka is definitely growing up with the series, but maybe not so unexpectedly and definitely not... Uh, in such like a, a right angle sort of way, but with Asajj Ventress's story coming from season one to the end of season four and heading into season five, we we get this this really interesting development on a character that I don't think any of us expected to be more than just a a, a proxy for Count Dooku, right? Like just sort of of uh, this arm's length assassin so that uh, so that Anakin and Obi-Wan could fight somebody with lightsabers that wasn't always General Grievous or Count Dooku because obviously there's there's difficult stuff with those characters in uh, in that they're in Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones. So um, so I, I don't know, that's what I was expecting from Asajj for the entirety of the series, but then to have her come back uh, and and develop in this way 
and then lead into revenge. <laughs> we'll just sort of skip over brothers there, uh, and uh, and jump into revenge, and and to now be uh, fighting alongside Obi Wan, not as much out of necessity as we've seen Count Dooku team up with with uh, these characters, but like because back season in, one, uh, Gunga uh, General, yeah, uh, Gunga. Yeah, season one, Gungan General. No, no, that was the second half. half. First half was uh, Dooku captured. Oh, yeah, okay, Dooku captured and then Gungan General, yeah. Um, Yeah, it was, this, with with Revenge, it was sort of more of a motivated action than it was a, um, well, we have to do this just because, you know, I want to survive this. So, I... Bounty is the is the episode that sets up everything that's gonna come uh, in the future for this character, and uh, and and along with that, we also get some great moments with Bosk, with Boba Fett. Uh, Dengar is actually kind of an interesting guy for five seconds, and then he's a complete joke by the end of it. But uh, yeah, it just it sort of sets up this character of Asajj Ventress is a much more interesting and deep character than even the, uh, the, the night sister trilogy, three episodes that heavily featured the character managed to do. Uh, so nice. that's why it's my, yeah, that's for the season. Uh, that, that was the one earlier that I was kind of torn between, um, picking as my number five, but you know, I, I think for me, the reason that, that that one's not on my list is I don't even know where I would place it. I mean, it's almost like there's an, not really anything about it that kind of specifically sticks out at me or goes like, this is why I really like it so much. It's just really enjoyable from start to finish. And, um, I mean, it was kind of, kind of came as a surprise for me too. Um, especially because they said the season finale was going to be like a four parter dealing with, you know, Ventress and, um, you know, Savage and Darth Maul coming back and all that. And so I'm like, how the heck is an episode with, Boba Fett and, you know, Bosk and Bounty Hunters supposed to, like, feature into all this. And, you know, then it was like, oh, well, you know, at the end of Massacre, you see Asajj go off on her own path, and it's like, well, she's a bounty hunter now. And, um, like you said, really interesting new direction for the character. Um, So, yeah, that was a great episode. And, you know, the other thing I like about it, too, is that Bosk was interesting for, like, the first time in this series that he's been in so far. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to have to agree with you, Mike. Uh, Bounty is my number one episode of the season. So, um, and obviously for uh, a lot of the great uh, reasons you mentioned, but uh, just overall, for an episode that didn't feature any Jedi and no one from the Republic, it was engaging, it was interesting, it was entertaining... And had great character development and great action, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I like. I just really liked how, at the end of it all, for the first time that we've seen this character, Asajj Ventress makes her own choice. She finally gets to make her own choice and is not told, "Well, you have to be doing this, or I need you to go do that." And now you are one of us, or you know, things like that. You know, she's finally able to make her own choice and choose her own path, uh, which is a really interesting twist because I, I I'm somewhat familiar with um, 
her storyline in the uh, the comics and the novels, um, and all of those didn't make her nearly as interesting as this one episode of the Clone Wars did. I'm really, really, really looking forward to seeing where they take Asajj from here. She is one of the she is one of the, if not the most interesting characters in the Clone Wars at this point because of this episode. And not only that, but she kicks a lot of butt and uh, was really it was a really fun to watch uh, those the action sequences against uh, the ninjas and uh, or for lack of a better term um, in the on the train and everything. Um, but uh, that's that's why mm-hmm. I like this episode is it was entertaining, it was interesting. But most importantly, it made me care for a character that in season one I would have forgotten about. Yeah, no, and you know what's interesting is, um, I mean, I probably came into the series with, I guess, more of a personal connection with Ventress than it sounds like you guys did, just because, um, I mean, I thought she was cool back in the Clone Wars micro series, and I've read, you know, her whole backstory in the comics and the novels and everything like that. Um, but I still love what they're doing with her in, you know, pretty much back since Night Sisters, where it was kind of just, you get the sense that they're going somewhere different with the character. Because I feel like the, she had a pretty interesting backstory in the comics, but they never really got into that in this series. And so for the first three seasons, I mean, like you said, Mike, she was just kind of Dooku's assassin. And, um, so I felt like she was kind of underused because I was like, well, I know there's more to this character, but they're not really exploring any of it. And um, so I like now that they're, you know, get getting more into her, her backstory and kind of her motivations and things like that. But at the same time, they're not just copying it. I mean, they did in Night Sisters when you see where she has that flashback of her past. That's pretty much the same way that it happens in the comics, except that in the comics she didn't start as a Night Sister. But it's kind of like they paid homage to that and then kind of go off in their own direction from there. And like you said, this just opens up a whole bunch of new possibilities and it's going to be really interesting to see where they go with the character from here. So, um, you know, that's just my take on it because it was a character that I already liked and now I'm, you know, liking this new interesting stuff that they're doing to kind of change where they're going with it. Yeah, she she's the most interesting character to me at this point because we don't know what happens to her. We know right, what happens right. to Anakin. We know what happens to Obi Wan. We don't know what happens to Soka, but there's a couple different options that we can go with her. Um, and you know, those have all been beaten to death. But with Asajj, we have no idea what they have planned for her. There's not even a hint of an idea of where they're going, um, right. which is why she is mm-hmm. the most interesting character now in the Clone Wars. Well, and then this episode throws a total curveball in any predictions that anybody had for her. Because, like I said, I think we all just expected her to be the bad guy <laughs> the entire time, right? Just a henchman, just a total one-note character like Grievous, who is a completely one-note character. Even in his episode, uh, in Layer of Grievous, when we try and get a little bit of his backstory in there, it's still just mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's General Grievous, you guys. <laughs> like, like I don't yeah. know what you're looking for here. He's General Grievous. Yes, he, he comes from a proud warrior race. <laughs> Big surprise, right? But then with Asajj, it's like, um, for me watching with the Night Sister trilogy, it was like, well, there's a surprise that she was once a Jedi. Because uh, as far as I knew, it was just a micro series story. 
Um, but then here we get this other insight that she was at one point a Padawan, uh, or at least a, a Jedi initiate, for those who know a little bit more about the, the Jedi process. Uh, but I then, you know, she sort of goes down this, this other path and ends up with Dooku and ends up a, a dark Jedi and, you know, sort of a Sith in training. And, uh, and then to see her make this, this, uh, it's not necessarily a full 180, but kind of yeah. like I said, a, a right angle, right? Sort of this 90 degree turn. Into that gray into, area. Uh, into the gray area. And the gray area yeah. is always the best place for a character. No, and I was going to say pretty much so, the same thing that, you know, that's, it's like if you could predict where she was going before, like you can't now. Because, the, I mean, she has an ending to her story in the comics yeah. where basically she gets wounded in a fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan and they think she's dead and then she ends up not really being dead, but she kind of just ends disappears. up disappears. Yeah, she disappears and kind of just wants to put the war and everything behind her. And so at the beginning of the series, I was like, well, are they going to follow that storyline or are they going to maybe do something a little bit different? Like have her, you know, have somebody kill her off or, you know, I was, I was thinking that they might, you know, go a different way with it and turn her back to the light side. But even still, like, this is completely different than anything I would have predicted because, like you said, she's in that gray area now where she's, especially when you see her fighting against, uh, or fighting alongside Obi-Wan in Revenge, she kind of seems like a good guy because she's on the side that's fighting the bad guys. But at the same time, she's still kind of her own yeah. character. Like, she doesn't really have a side. And, um, you know, you see at the end of Bounty, she uh, takes the the captured girl that was a prisoner, ends up, you know, she decides not to sell her into slavery like she was paid to do, but she's not like, oh, you know, run along now and you're free and everybody's happy and yay, I'm a good guy now. She's like, no, you still got to pay me for it. And she's, you know, holding right. him prisoner with her lightsaber until yeah. she gets her money, so... She's kind of out to do things her way now. Yeah, but but and then, and then she also doesn't just bail on the other right, bounty right. hunters. She gives them their cut, which I thought was an interesting point because yeah. she right. could have very easily just left, right? But instead, she she gives them their cut, and then she's like, you know, and she even cuts them in on the extra that she managed to get, and she. Let's he'll be around. Well, I think I think she kept that extra for herself. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty well, sure because she had a big case of credits that she got from you know the guys that they were hired to to do the job for, and that's what she gave back to the bounty hunters. And then she got like her own little bundle yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah, I have to say that was probably my okay. one and only problem with that episode was at the end when. Um, you know, you just kind of see her walking away and the other bounty hunters are like, you know, what, are you too good for us now or something? And she's like, no, but, you know, I used to be one of you guys and now I'm, you know, going to follow my own path. And then next two episodes, what's she doing? Hanging out in the bar yeah. with the bounty hunters again. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that could have been written a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, probably. But especially, especially because in the next two episodes, it makes sense for her to be there. So... I guess, you know, for Katie Lucas or whoever was writing that episode, maybe to just, you know, they could have thought ahead and just kind of left that scene out so that the rest of it would have made sense, but whatever. Still a really good episode overall. And now she's got this little rivalry between her and Boba Fett. Yes. You know, we'll see We'll see if that gets developed at all or not, but it's, it's you know, she crossed Boba, and uh, That's I don't true. know. I don't know if he's going to do anything about it or not, um, but it's it's kind of just hanging out there. So, 
yeah, maybe we'll see. I hadn't even really considered that because, and you know, Ventress even says it to him that you know he's even though he's kind of dangerous and it's like taking on these jobs and it's proven that he can handle himself. Like he's still a kid and she's yeah. like, what you think people are going to take you seriously? Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Well, before we get too far into season five predictions, uh, okay. Well, let uh, me, uh, let me, let me go with my number uh, one first. Um, oh yeah. I, we kind of got caught up talking about, we kind of got caught up oh. talking about bounty, but that wasn't my number <laughs> one episode. Um, my favorite episode of the whole season okay. was Carnage of Krell. And, um, I just watched it again the other night and I was like, you know, was this really as good as I remember it being? And I was like, yep, that's uh, pretty darn sure. Um, <laughs> just cause it has so many great moments. And, uh, like you said earlier, Jason, it, it kind of gives closure to the whole, to the whole Umbara arc and how the whole time, you know, Krell's doing all this stuff. And at least for me, he, kept me guessing the whole time. I mean, mm-hmm. there were some times when I'm like, okay, he's being mean and this is kind of uncharacteristic of a Jedi and I wonder if he's, you know, turned to the dark side or if he's an agent mm-hmm. of Dooku or something like that. But they would never go there, right? No, he's a Jedi, right? Well, yeah. well and he's, here's he's, the yeah. thing. I figured if they were going that way, it wouldn't make sense because if he was a separatist who was like, you know, posing as a Jedi or had infiltrated the Jedi or something, I'm like, you would think somebody would have noticed. And then... There were other times when it was like, you know, he's just be- where, where I felt like he was kind of within the Jedi code, where he was just being, you know, strict or tough, but um, you know, was kind of just doing whatever was necessary to get the job done. Where he didn't, where it wasn't being, you know, necessarily quote unquote evil. And then the the resolution you get is that, um, you know, he's not really working for the bad guys, but has kind of just become disillusioned with the whole thing. Which I thought was really interesting because we've never really seen a character do that before. Um, and he actually kind of, even though he's kind of in the wrong, I guess, and is, you know, doing the wrong thing, he has some right ideas when he says, you know, when the clones have him captured at the end and he says, like, there's a new power rising and, you know, the I, I forget exactly what he says, but I think he says something about, you know, the Republic being torn down from the inside or something like that. And he's basically like a new regime is going to take its place. And I want to be there to be part of it. You know, I don't want to be with the, with the Jedi and the Senate anymore because their time's over. And so it's like, even though he's, you know, they make him like this bad character that you don't like, and he's doing all these terrible things to the clones at the same time, you're kind of like, huh, well, he does have a point. And, you know, is maybe doing these bad things for, somewhat of a right reason um but aside from that i mean kind of the the big three standout moments in this episode for me were the the uh, the execution scene at the beginning where uh jesse and fives krell orders them to be executed for disobeying his orders in the last episode and you have um you know the rex and the other clones take them and line them about line them up line them up out in front of the command center and um you know, like real dramatic, like the first time I watched it, I was like, are they actually going to do it? And you actually see the clones like fire their blasters and I thought they killed them. And then you find out that they missed on purpose and that they're, you know, you kind of see the beginning of them, like all starting to turn against Krell's orders and realize that, you know, this direction that he's leading them in is wrong. And then that moment where, um, you know, where they go out to, you know, to face the enemy or so they think, and it turns out to be, 
you know, other clones and, um, yeah, they realize that Krell's turned them on each other. I mean, for me, that was like the biggest holy crap moment of the whole season. Yeah. Because sitting there watching it, I, I specifically remember, I mean, they had me sold on the whole thing where Krell says like, hey, be careful, the enemy's like stolen our weapons and armor, so they'll be disguised as clones and they'll try to ambush you. And, you know, they had me going along with that, so I see guys in clone armor, you know, coming at them, and I'm like, okay, I guess it's the enemy, and let's see how this goes. And then the the first time you get a real good look at them, and you see that they're in the, the yellow armor that's, um, you know, Obi-Wan. that Obi-Wan's battalion wears, I was like, oh, crap, those are Obi-Wan's guys, those aren't the enemy. And, uh, you know, so that was just a real tense, dramatic scene. and uh, One of the most uh, heart-wrenching scenes of the entire series. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Dee Bradley Baker did an amazing job with that scene. Yeah, definitely. And, the, and it, you know, the scene right after that where um, Rex finds Waxer dying, and, you know, as Waxer's dying, he tells him, you know, that Krell ordered them to attack each other, and then you get Rex convincing the clones that, like, you, you know... Krell's, you know, we don't know why he's done this, but we need to do something about it, you know, and convinces them to turn against him, basically. And so they go and confront him, and then that, uh, you know, that whole scene where they go to arrest Krell was so great. I mean, from the from the second they walk in, and Brett says, you're under arrest, and Krell turns around and goes, it's treason then. Like, that gave me <laughs> chills the first time I watched it. And then, of course, you know, you get the just the awesome visuals of those two double-bladed lightsabers twirling around in the darkness with the, you know, kind of the glowy light panels of the Umbaran structures and stuff. And then, you know, of course, the laser blast going by and stuff. I, you know, it was great uh, visual scene, I thought. And then um, kind of gets a little bit less intense through the rest of it as it kind of wraps up everything. And like I said, explains kind of Krell's motivations behind the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was... Like I said, some of the best and most uh, intense and dramatic moments of the whole season, and um, you know, a great conclusion to a great story arc. Cool, totally, yeah. yeah. So that's my number one, um, Mike. You said you wanted to talk about the kind of some general thoughts on the season as a whole. Well, let's just sort of. Uh, I was thinking, just sort of rank this season in comparison with with the other seasons. So uh, I'll go first, and I'll say that overall, this season probably falls in uh, probably second place uh, to me uh, right right after uh, the second season. Second season being the strongest. Uh, The first season falling into third, and then the third season falling into last. Uh, Definitely last year, I think that we were left wanting a little bit more. There was a lot of tying up of loose ends, even with uh, the, uh, the the Mortis trilogy and the uh, the the Night Sister trilogy. It just wasn't that strong, and uh, I, it definitely started off with a bang, but then kind of whimpered throughout. Um, so then this season, when we came back, uh, it starts strong. It, it keeps going with Shadow Warrior. Mercy Mission and Nomad Droids are kind of eh. I wasn't a huge fan of the Darkness, uh, the Umbara, tri- uh, well, I guess Quadrilogy, the, that arc. Uh, but it wasn't one of the worst arcs. Uh, but then we come back with, with uh, just such a solid second half to the season, which I think makes it uh, 
the second best season of the series so far. Uh, second only to the to the second season, which is the second season is solid from start to finish. I think uh, there's not a lot in the second season that I think that you can really call into question all that much. There's a few episodes here and there, but I uh, but for the most part, pretty solid. Uh, and and season four kind of follows in that um, with being never really being too terrible right until the end. Um, just with just with Massacre and Brothers being two episodes that I think really struggled to 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 connect the dots and set up what was coming. Um, you can really tell that the two of those episodes were there just to build to Bounty and Revenge. Um, so, I mean, like, definitely Brothers being the worst episode of the entire series doesn't even manage to bring down this season uh, on an overall perspective, in my opinion. Um, so, well, uh, Jason, what do you think? Speaking as someone who spent the last month rewatching all four seasons of The Clone Wars, um, I would have to... I'd have to uh, rank this one in a tie for best season uh, with season two. Uh, season two being very strong overall. Season four having uh, some of the strongest moments overall. Um, and so that sort of balances each other out uh, to tie for first, in my opinion. Um, I, I do agree season three, especially the beginning, uh, the first half of it, uh, that dragged the season, um, which puts it in last with season one. Uh, not very deep, but not a lot of bad episodes in it uh, coming in at second. So um, that's how I would uh, that's how I would rank it as well. Um, very strong overall season um, with a few dips. Um, I, I agree, massacre. Uh, may have been my least favorite simply because I, I wasn't very keen on the whole voodoo aspect um, and a lot of the the uh, Night Sisters witchcraft and stuff. Um, but uh, still uh, a very solid season. All right. Yeah. This honestly, this is a really hard season for me to rank just because. Um, well, first off, let me say, I, I didn't dislike Bounty as much as you did, Mike, and Jason, I probably liked Massacre a little bit more than you did. I'd probably say the only, really the only three episodes that I'd kind of put at the bottom of this season would be, like, Brothers, Mercy Mission, and Nomad Droids. Mm -hmm. And uh, even Mercy Mission and Nomad Droids had, had parts of them that I really enjoyed. It was just kind of overall those episodes were... Yeah. Um, yeah, just, you know, not as good as everything else. And then the, the Water War uh, trilogy at the start of the season was enjoyable and had some cool visuals and stuff, but just wasn't... Um, Nothing stood out. Yeah, exactly. It was just kind of take it as it is, I guess. It was mm -hmm. kind of fun action episodes, but not really anything spectacular. But I would, like, on the one hand, I would almost have to say this was the best season so far just by nature of the fact that I felt like it had the least kind of quote-unquote bad episodes. And, you know, maybe this is just coming off of season three where we had so many political episodes that just kind of dragged and didn't really add anything to the overall story. 
but even I mean, before that, in in uh, season two, you've got episodes like Senate Spy and Senate Murders, um, and then the the Boba Fett trilogy at the end of season two, I didn't feel like was really great. I mean, it was okay, but um, kind of not the the introduction to Boba Fett in the series that I was hoping for. And then the Zillow Beast episodes were kind of okay, I guess. Um, you know, season one had some great episodes, but also you had some low points like, um, let's see if I can even remember, oh, like Blue Shadow Virus and Gungan General. Pretty much any episode where Jar Jar Binks is voiced by that BJ Hughes guy and not Ahmed Best, <laughs> I could like throw him in the trash and not ever touch again. Um, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like I don't know if I would rank season four as the best season so far, but I kind of feel like it deserves to be there just because it's had the least number of episodes that I didn't like. Um, but I would have to say that my maybe my biggest problem with the season overall is just looking back on it, it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot to it because we had so many big story arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Mike, when you said you thought season two was the best season, like looking back on season two, it seems like we had a lot more stories, you know, with Geonosis and Mandalore and, yeah. uh, you know, lightsaber lost and grievous intrigue and the deserter and the Cad Bane trilogy at the start and everything. I mean, season four, you look back on it and it seems like there's really, what, maybe five big storylines with, um, the Water War, the Umbara Arc, the Slavers, Obi-Wan, and uh, the Darth Maul, and then, you know, a few other episodes scattered in there. But, um, you know, I can't really complain because all those stories were really enjoyable. So it's kind of like I maybe would have liked to see a more variety of stuff, but all the stuff that was there was pretty solid, in my opinion. So, um, I don't know, I guess I'll go ahead and say this was the best season so far for me. Um, with maybe season two coming in at a very close second. And uh, I don't know. Again, season one and three are maybe in a tie for last because, like I said, season three easily had the, uh, the most number of kind of quote unquote bad episodes. Not that they were terrible, but just ones that I didn't enjoy as much. But also, I felt like the second half of season three had some of the strongest episodes of the whole series. So um, I'd say that kind of balances it out and puts it in a kind of even tie for last place with season one. But, uh, yeah, that's my take on it. But, you know, overall, I mean, I really enjoy the series. There's not like, you know, it's it's kind of hard to say like, oh, this is my least favorite season because they've all been pretty good. So, yeah. 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 It's all a rather close spread, um, but, you know. With obviously some episodes dropping well below that spread, but most right. <laughs> corruption. <coughs> yes, corruption. Our yes. our word of the day um, episode that that annoyed me. It was like a Sesame Street episode. How many times can we say corruption in this entire episode? I haven't actually counted, but I, I was going to. But I just like no, it would make my head hurt. Um, anyway, sorry. But anyways, um. You know what, before we get to, let's go a little bit out of order here, and before we get to talking about Season 5, let's do our Facebook post of the week, um, because it kind of ties into what we've been talking sure. about. Um, earlier, I think this was Sunday, I posted on the Facebook page and basically said that we were going to be doing this Season 4 recap episode and uh, asked you guys for your thoughts, um, 
you know, just to chime in and say what you thought about season four, what you liked or didn't like, or, you know, what some of your favorite episodes were. And uh, we got quite a few responses on here. So um, let's see. Aaron Altimus said, uh, I thought it was an overall decent season. I really enjoyed the Umbara arc due to the fact that I love clones. Obi-Wan was great in the slave arc. Darth Maul was a huge letdown, as I thought it would be. Shadow Warrior was great, as well as the season opening. A Friend in Need was awesome. The best one-off episode, if not the best episode of the season. And lastly, the Hardeen arc. I thought it started off great, but declined as in as it neared the end. Those are some of my thoughts on Season 4. Can't wait to see what's in store for us in Season 5. May the Force be with you. Um, let's see. And then Peter Anderson says, Well, Kyle and Aaron, Season 4 is premiering this Friday for us Aussies, so I'll, with a doubleheader, Waterworm and Gungan attack. I'm so stoked. I'll give my opinion in five months' time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know why they're, cool. you know, some of the... Yeah, their schedules are all whacked like that. So Especially because I know, yeah. um, like, the UK is having the same thing where they're just about to start season four. But with season three, they were, like, a week ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of strange, but... Yeah. Uh, let's see, then Tim Girachi says, uh, Oh, man, that sucks, Peter, but you're in for a season that I thought was great. Probably my second favorite after season two. I thought it started out decent with the Mon Calamari arc, but it felt, but I felt the arc, the great episodes started with the Umbara arc, which was my favorite, and continued to be great overall until the end. My favorite episodes were Darkness on Umbara, Carnage of Krell, Escape from Kadavo, and Revenge. Darth Maul's return was the best season finale the series has had. There were probably only three episodes I didn't really care for, the two droid episodes and Massacre. While there were a lot of great moments in the season, my favorites were when the clones marched up and took on Krell, the final lightsaber battle in re- oh, and the final lightsaber battle in Revenge. So overall, I love the season and can't wait to watch them again on Blu-ray. Um, let's see. Oh, and then Greg Stedman uh, wrote us an essay here. Uh, <laughs> he says, "All right, here we go. I thought the Mon Cal arc had good visuals and a mess storyline." though I like the Mon Cal character design. The Umbara arc was awesome and is in my top five arcs, and Carnage of Krell, OMG, that could be a name. Oh, he said Carnage of Krell, uh, is in my top ten episodes. Let's see, I actually didn't like the slave arc. Obi-Wan got beat up too much, although the one scene from Return of the Jedi was in my top five scenes this season. Um, oh, I really enjoyed the Rako Hardin episodes, with, that last, with the last of that arc being my second favorite episode of this season. I kind of enjoyed the one with Ahsoka and the Mandos, but I didn't like it as much as Mike. Now, my favorite episode of the season was Bounty. I'm just loving the way they're taking Asajj with this episode. And the last episode, I am super stoked for next season. Uh, Lastly, Brothers and Revenge were okay at best, meh at worst. It wasn't very realistic how Maul could just get some robot legs strapped on him and suddenly be able to fight better than Obi-Wan. I mean, really? Well, as a whole, Season 4 was pretty good. It wasn't as good as Season 2, but it was still a good watch. Also, if there are any episodes I didn't mention, it's because they weren't good enough to be mentioned. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty long, but um, good stuff. And then uh, lastly, Bethany Osler posted, and she said, The Umbara arc was my favorite of the season. I enjoyed the interaction between Ventress and Obi-Wan in the finale. While the droid episodes were not enjoyable for me, my boys loved them. Maul was too scary for them. And liked seeing Lux and Ahsoka together, too. So, uh, thanks for posting, guys. Those are uh, some of your thoughts over on the Facebook page on uh, Season 4. Some of the same stuff we said. Um, 
like I said, the, the Umbara arc seemed to be popular with a lot of people. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll still have some uh, some good discussions and stuff going on throughout the summer, and um, you know, especially once they start, uh, hopefully sometime soon, releasing trailers and stuff for season five because we still haven't seen anything for that. Right. But uh, you know, once that start, once that stuff starts coming out, we'll. Uh, you know, hopefully be having some discussions about what we're looking forward to seeing and stuff like that. But while we're at it, um, what are you guys thinking about season five? What we're, or, you know, what you're looking forward to, what we've heard so far that's going to be in it. Uh, okay. Um, uh, Jason, you, you go uh, first. I think it was, I think Dave Filoni had like a and a on his Facebook page a while back, like one or two of those. And I remember getting, seeing some information on there and some of the things I'm really looking forward to uh, as far as like little moments um, obviously I'm looking forward to see where they go with Ventress and Maul and how they work that into the Clone Wars um, but some of the little moments that he mentioned could be coming um, Hondo is supposed to return in season 5 I love Hondo Anaka so seeing him for the first time since season two, I will be ecstatic no matter what happens, except if they kill him. Um, and then uh, <laughs> he also mentioned that R2 is going to have one of the most uh, heroic episodes that he's had yet. Um, and I'm a huge fan of R2-D2. So really, really want to see um, R2 be heroic. Um, but... I'm just really curious to see how they continue to uh, develop our main characters and how fast or how slow they're going to uh, wrap up some of these storylines. Because we got a lot of like groundwork as far as Anakin is concerned uh, with Palpatine in the, the second half of the season. And I'm just wondering, are they going to take a little turn to prolong that in order to get a couple more seasons in? Or are they going to start wrapping it up and like end it in season six or seven um something like i'm just really interested because this will be i think depending on how season five goes will sort of give us a roadmap as to how long this, the series is planning on going um because we've got a lot of things set up um uh, and how fast they start wrapping up all these loose ends um will determine how long the series can go. So that's, I think that's the big thing I'm looking forward to. Um, I, I would love to see a big, uh, like invasion of some sort where we get a space battle, a ground battle and some sort of duel in it that we can just cut back and forth between like uh, return of the Jedi, just some big epic arc uh, story arc like that. Um, and I would like to see, them feature some more of the um, the background Jedi that uh, like they did in the first two seasons, uh, you know, Kit Fisto, Luminara, you know, those types of characters because they haven't really been around since the end of season two. I mean, they, they're sitting there on the council or you know something like that. But we get Plo Koon because he's voiced by James Arnold Taylor, who's always there and is. Uh, you know, Dave Filoni's favorite Jedi. And then we get Yoda, Mace Windu, and our main heroes. Um, but other than that, we haven't really seen any of the secondary Jedi. So I'd like to see them get more involved because there's 
more Jedi doing stuff than just Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka. So, um, you know, that's that's something I'd like to see. Yeah. All right, uh, Mike, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, for me, it's a little bit less uh, about specific individual storylines and characters than it is about sort of an overall um, style and tone. Uh, I think with season four, what we saw a lot of was continuous stories and, uh, and overarching stories. Um, and, and the thing that I noticed the most from this season was that I'd really, really like it if they could tie the entire season together with one sort of overall yeah. story, one sort of overall muffin yeah. to, to deal with. Um, Darth Maul, it seems to me, would be that thing that you could tie an entire season together with. Um, the search for Darth Maul and then, you know, sort of uh, encounters with him here and there. Um, and then it gives you opportunity to tell stories with, with some of the other, uh, less, uh, mainline, uh, characters like Kit Fisto and, and Plo Koon and, and, uh, Luminara and, right. and all these sort of side Jedi that we haven't seen a lot of recently. So, um, that's really my biggest thing is that I want that, that overall arc, uh, as opposed to just sort of the, these five or yeah. six storylines that are unconnected. So for me, like, that's really it. I mean, I, I want to see Asajj, Darth Maul, and uh, Death Watch, but we already know we're going to get those, so there's no point right. <laughs> mentioning them, right. which I did. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, I think they're sort of heading towards a more connected form of storytelling, because obviously we got season one, which, you know, Here's a story, here's a trilogy, here's a duology, and there's a one-off, and they're not connected at all. Um, and then we got all the way up to here, where we had a lot of larger stories that, um, you know, obviously we had fewer stories because there were more episodes dealing with them, and so they're more connected that way. But I, I, I think that they're sort of trying to do a much more linear thing where things are going to start referencing each other. I really hope that's the case, though. I, I agree. Right, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that too, Mike, yeah. with talking about um, kind of keeping it like this continuous thread throughout the season, just because I feel like with, with Darth Maul, you can't really, you know, start off season five with like a trilogy of episodes dealing directly with Darth Maul, and then we don't see him again for the rest of the season, or, you know, till the season finale or something, because then every time we see, especially with Anakin and Obi-Wan, it's going to be like, yeah, well, they're off doing this, that, and the other thing, but why aren't they dealing with, you know, the threat of Darth Maul, who's, you know, still out there probably killing people or, you know, plotting some revenge against the Jedi or something like that. So, um, you know, I do think that's a good opportunity to kind of bring a continuous thread into the season. Although I don't think that they're going to go, you know, totally linear with it, like, you know, all 22 episodes are going to be one big connected storyline. But, um, you know, maybe if they do story arcs and just kind of have those story arcs reference each other so you get a little bit of a sense of continuity. Or even if maybe they had, you know, some, some smaller arcs dealing with other characters and stuff and had maybe one-off episodes with Darth Maul that maybe weren't back-to-back -back as like a trilogy or a four-parter or something like that, but kind of had like five or six... Yeah 
episode. You know, I think it would be cool if they had maybe like five or six episodes spaced out throughout the season dealing with Obi-Wan and Anakin tracking down Darth Maul. And then, like you said, that would give us a lot of time to explore some of the other characters. Um, you know, if you have like Plo Koon or Kit Fist or Luminara or Aayla Sakura or Shock T or Sacy Tin or any of those Jedi that have, you know, only had like five minutes of screen time. Um, you know, you could have them play a bigger part in a three-part story arc and it wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't feel like maybe Darth Maul was missing from that because obviously not every Jedi in the galaxy is going to be going after him. But especially because we've seen Obi-Wan fight him before and we've seen him fight him in the season finale that he, it kind of feels like that's Obi-Wan's kind of nemesis, you know, his problem to deal with. So, um, or even if they have Obi-Wan go off and do something else and, you know, give a good explanation for it. It's like you feel like somebody's got to be tackling the Darth Maul problem, but it doesn't have to be like the whole season devoted to that. So, but, but I would like to kind of see that like sprinkled throughout there and kind of have them make it seem a bit more continuous. And like you said, kind of a little bit more of a longer season, you know, season long story arc. Um, but with some side stories along the way, exploring some different yeah. characters and different situations and things like that. I mean, you guys have both already, or, you know, Jason, you said Hondo's supposed to be coming back. I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Um, definitely excited to see more of the Death Watch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had Bo-Katan, and there was a new character, that female one with the helmet kind of shaped like an owl. And, um, you know, apparently she's supposed to have a lot more of a unique, interesting character next season because Dave Filoni said that it was kind of a last-minute decision to actually, like, give that character a name and bring in a kind of well-known actress to voice her and stuff like that rather than just have it be kind of, you know, Mandalorian captain number one or something like that. (laughs) And so he said, uh, you know, they're going to explore her character a lot more in the next season. Um, Again, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, more, hopefully like a large-scale ground battle, especially especially if you look at, you know, the size of the clone army that they had in Darkness on Umbara. And, you know, for that story arc. And then I think one one of the really cool things that kind of isn't that big of a, you know, maybe isn't emphasized all that much in Massacre is that that's probably the biggest droid army they've ever had in the entire series. Um, and you can't really see it all that well because, you know, it's yeah. real foggy and stuff. But if you watch it on a big screen TV and you pay attention to kind of the stuff that's going on in the background, there are a lot of battle droids. And so I was, you know, I think I was telling Jason, I was like, if they had a you know battle episode where they just pitted an army, a clone army the size of the one from Umbara against a droid army, the one from the size of Massacre. That would be an awesome, you know, spectacular battle. So hopefully they'll do something like that. It's been too long, in my opinion, since we've had a good space battle, so I'm hoping for a big space battle episode. I agree. Um, yeah. We, we, we can see, nice. you know, from those shots, you know, in Massacre, you know, there's that entire fleet uh, you know, o- right. orbiting Sereno, you know, we've got that huge fleet there and it just sat there. You know, why can't we get action with that now? You know, it's yeah. And you had that really great looking aerial battle kind of in the atmosphere of Umbara in uh plan of descent, I think it was, but that lasted all of, you know, 30 seconds and it was the clones just kind of flying through it on their way to the big supply ship. Right. Uh, but, you know, I'd love to see something like, Storm over Ryloth from season one. Um, in fact, I'd love to see kind of another Ryloth trilogy, but you know, with all the 
advances in animation and number of characters that they can have on screen and stuff like that, that they've, you know, how far they've come from season one. I think if they did a similar type of story now, it would be so much cooler. I agree. But yeah, that's, that's kind of some of the stuff I'm looking forward to, but, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Like I said, hopefully we'll get a trailer sometime soon because, um, uh, well, apparently, uh, just on Steve Stephen Stanton's Facebook page, he posted uh, that uh, he went to a screening recently over the weekend, and they showed a season five trailer there. Really? So there is a season five trailer out there. We just haven't gotten to mm. see it yet. Um, so I would imagine that. Uh, well, let's see. It being May the first when we're recording this, uh, and and I'm sure that by May the fourth. Everybody will be watching this, uh, or uh-huh. listening to this rather. That uh, we may just get. You know, I think that we're going to get a lot of news on Friday. I think we're going to get a lot of season five news. We're going to get a lot of celebration news. We're going to get Star Wars weekends news. Uh, we may even get news on new series. Uh, and if not, if not on the fifth or on the fourth, then uh, we will definitely hear stuff by the time we oh, get sure. to. Uh, Comic Con, right. which is not that far away, and we've also yes, also have to remember we have E three coming up towards the end of this month, uh, so we could hear about new video games, um, lots of different stuff. So I, I think this uh, April was kind of uh, a, a dead zone uh, with the end of the season and then really nothing going on other than the announcement of uh, James Arnold Taylor and Star Wars Weekends. So I I think that we can look forward to a lot of new information. Yeah, yeah. and you know I was thinking the, the same thing bit. that they might just you know pull a May the Fourth be with you on us and give us a Clone Wars trailer then or maybe some other info. So we'll see. We're, we'll definitely get something because I uh, the May the Fourth is sort of it's it's quickly like it's it's definitely no longer just a Star Wars fan culture thing it's uh it's definitely just in the general pop culture now um and it's starting to become just a regular mainstream media thing and i know we'll see how i know uh starwars.com has been Uh, hyping it on facebook because they've got you know these countdown uh like timeline banners that they've been putting out for you know to counting down to may the 4th so uh on facebook so Hopefully, hopefully we'll get something big on, on Friday. Hopefully. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully by the time that everybody's listening to this, uh, it won't be that far off, or they'll have already heard some news. So uh, actually, on that note, and as we sort of wrap up this episode, uh, I just wanted to give everybody the heads up, the announcement that I on May the fourth. I, I couldn't think of a more fitting day to do it. Uh, we will actually finally be launching the Star Wars Daily website, um, which if you've been listening to Frontlines, you've been hearing uh, Frontlines of Clone Wars podcast brought to you by Star Wars Daily. <laughs> and if you've gone there for the last two years, it's just been a coming soon. Um, it was uh, it was the sort of thing that it was a little bit difficult for me to, uh, to figure out how I was going to manage a daily website along with uh, front lines and uh, and the other things that I do, um, and then uh, and uh, for any of you that follow me outside of front lines, you know that I'm uh, on Tumblr constantly, and uh, and Tumblr's kind of got the perfect features to share 
just really cool Star Wars stuff. I sort of on a regular basis sort of have that queued up and and doled out in bite-sized chunks. So what that will be is uh, starwarsdaily.tumblr.com. But if you just go to starwarsdaily.com, it should redirect you to the Tumblr. So uh, it's not going to be a huge site to begin with. It's just going to be a a great place to... uh, to see some of the cool Star Wars stuff floating around on the internet, but uh, but that website will be launching Sweet. on May the fourth. So check that out. Uh, if you're not on Tumblr already, you should get on Tumblr because uh, it's a it's a very cool place to be, and there's lots of great Star Wars content constantly from fans and uh, and all sorts of different places. So uh, so look forward to that. Uh, and uh, look forward to Star Wars Celebration, and uh, and look forward to four more episodes uh, as we count down on our way to episode 100. So we've got uh, this being 95, we've got 96, 97, 98, and 99 to come. So uh, those will be sometime between now and the end of August. So I... Uh, I guess that that about does no, it. No, right? I think that's Anything just about else it. You guys want to say before we go? Uh, that's I'm I'm pretty good there. I'm just cool. Well, uh, that's season four uh, wrapped up and all done, uh, and now we're just waiting on season five and uh, <laughs> any information. Uh, so if any of you guys out there have got a trailer for season five that you want to share with us, uh, <laughs> we'd love the exclusive. And uh, if not, we will see you guys uh, well on the next episode of Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, coming to you sometime before the end of May, I'm fairly certain. So uh, we will catch you guys soon. And uh, we're probably going to do a, a, a fan mail uh, or Facebook post related episode at some point between now and the uh, the hundredth episode, so if you want to send in your emails to mail at clonewarspodcast.com, you can also check us out on Facebook. It's facebook.com/slash clonewarspodcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com/slash clonewars. And uh, always, always, you can check us out at www.clonewarspodcast.com. Uh, so, with that. Uh, Well, I'm Mike, and with me was Kyle and Jason. And uh, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Well, another close to another wonderful show. Obi-Wan Kenobi here saying thank you for listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. Brought to you, of course, by StarWarsDaily.com. The force is strong with you all, and it will be with you always.